Welcome to a Sunny Side Up Life podcast, a show for the woman who is ready to live an abundant life full of freedom and positivity. I'm Sammy Womack, and I'm on a mission to help you break free from survival mode, gain financial freedom, stay motivated, and focus on what matters most. Join the movement, and let's start living on the brighter side of life together. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I have another great interview lined up for you guys this week. I have Sarah on the podcast from Nerd's Guide to Wellness and I was so excited to just have her on the podcast and get to pick her brain about everything that she has learned in the past few years of being a rental property owner. And she dug into tons of questions that y'all sent in, which were just so fun for us to dig through. Uh, She went into why rentals are so much fun, why she feels like they make a good investment, how much you should spend on a property, and her rule of thumb that she goes by. Uh, She talked a lot about the pros and cons of being a rental property owner, and she even shared some of her family's personal debt-free journey, um, why they chose rentals, how that lined up with their journey, and how they went from being Dave Ramsey people to actually breaking quite a few of his rules along the way. And it was just such a fun conversation, and she's so sweet, and you guys are going to love this episode. So get your notebooks ready if you guys had questions about rentals because she is packing so much great information in this hour-long episode. So I hope that you guys enjoy it and let's welcome Sarah to the podcast. All right, everyone, I am here with Sarah and I am so excited to dig into this conversation. So Welcome and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah um, Brandenberger. I guess my last name is out there in the world now. So I used to be like this anonymous Instagram person, and my full name is out in the world now. So I'll just add that. I mostly started on Instagram with Nerd's Guide to Wellness and started as a Dave Ramsey person and worked on getting debt free. And that's how I met most of you lovely people. And then from there, so we got out of debt in two years and got out of like $118,000 in debt. and tried to figure out really what was next for us. And we really got interested in living a life where you're financially independent, where you don't rely on your W-2 job to live. And so that sounded really appealing because I hate money stress. Money is a really personally stressful thing for me. And so having that stability and having that aspect of, you know, we could lose both jobs and we would be fine was really appealing. And then we started getting into real estate. And I think that's kind of where our journey has really taken off is kind of in that realm and learning all the things in the world of real estate as well. I really wanted to, we had a couple of options of like topics that we wanted to talk about when we were kind of getting together beforehand. And I had a lot of interest in the rental properties topics because I don't, I don't really think it's a topic that I've really talked about much on the podcast, mostly because I have a really bad history of being a rental property owner. Um, So I'm not like the best person to ask for advice. Um, So our personal story is that we kind of did the whole, we upgraded in house and we kept our old house and we turned it into a rental property. And it was so bad. Like it was so bad. The mortgage wasn't that much um, and we could easily, you know, 
pay the mortgage with the rent, but we had no savings. We couldn't fix things. Like I remember the, I think it was the air conditioner or the heater went out at one point and we literally had to put it on a credit card to get it fixed. And we paid that mortgage late several months, several, several months. We were like three years behind on the property taxes. I mean, not ideal at all, but people tell you, you know, financially savvy people have rental properties, you know, have that extra income, et cetera, et cetera. And so we thought that's what we were doing and we were just not ready. So I have that really bad experience that I'm kind of scarred from now. So I really am hoping that you will encourage me as well as everyone listening to like, it's not that bad. It's, it's not that scary. Um, so start with a little bit of a little bit more about your debt-free journey and how that led into you taking the first steps into becoming a rental property person. <laughs> yeah. So we have notes that we've been talking about what we want to talk about. And I, I liked your comment on like early childhood adulthood piece because I'm like, I haven't really talked about that. And I was trying to think of something new that I haven't talked about because I yeah. think of telling the same thing over and over again. Um, because I'm like, you guys have heard this, but then I realized some of you haven't and haven't really been new to me. So I'll cover kind of the middle, but I think one of the things I, one of the traps you fall in is you get out of college and I, I have two master's degrees. And so I went to school for a very long time. And, um, interestingly, I was very fortunate that I didn't have student loans and that's when the people don't necessarily know about me and which is interesting because, but I, I had parents that were, um, essentially financially independent. And I didn't really know that was a thing. Like they were fire and I didn't really know what fire was. Right. So they, I've known them for a very long time to like not be employed. And I knew it was weird, but I didn't really realize that it was so unique until we kind of got on this path and learned about how other people are pursuing fire. And my parents did that before it was a term. And so, um, so the challenge with them is they did it like the entrepreneurial way. Like they invented things and had like patents and had a business they sold. And I'm like, I'm the least creative person ever. That's not going to be a path for me. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm not going to like invent something or have something that's like patent worthy. And so kind of always thinking about what kind of job you could do where you didn't need to have a specific like unique skill set really. Um, cause I'm like, I really like spreadsheets and, yep. you know, budgets and <laughs> different things like that. So I'm like, I, but I'm a very type A individual. And so inventing things and being creative wasn't really my niche. And so, um, once we figured out, well, first of all, I try to live my life out of college. Once I had a good job, you have this like sense of entitlement because you're out and you finally have like, I'm making $60,000 and I'm so excited because I have a big girl job and it's fantastic. And then I tried to buy the lifestyle that my parents had always had with new cars and new things. And I lived a life, you know, where they didn't really have car repairs because they always had newer vehicles. And so I thought my husband was ridiculous having his like fixer upper cars that his family always had. And so we like financed new vehicles and then we just got into this heap of debt and the debt is what I didn't really understand that they didn't have that part. And I was like, why are we? we have the image, but we're completely drowning and we're struggling and it's not great. And so that was kind of my moment. Um, and when I found Dave Ramsey, it was really my aha moment of, okay, well, you know, I were checking all the boxes on the list of like things that make people look successful, but we're actually not being successful. And that is the reason 
we feel like we're like chained and held back and we got ourselves in a heap of problems trying to not really keep up with the Joneses, but just have, I thought it would be like low stress, low worry. Like this is what you do when you have the good adult job and it just all fell crumbling apart. It felt like, and you felt like you're spinning out of control and just kind of getting a handle on that was important. So then we did Dave Ramsey debt payoff of $118,000 after all the interest dust settled. <laughs> um, and we paid that off in two years and just, you know, lived on a budget. The budget was like the number one thing is just learning how to budget and budgeting before every month is important because I was the queen of, I always budgeted, but I did it as we went. And so by the end of the month, I'm like, everything's in the red and I hate this because we just spiraled out of control and we're tracking it. We're not really using the budget to tell us what to spend. And so by the time we got out of debt, I still really wanted, you know, that more financially independent life. And so that's kind of what we've been working towards and trying to find a way. And since I'm not a creator, real estate was a really good switch um, and index funds also, which we'll talk about. But index funds are pretty easy once you get to know and understand them. And like, it, like your retirement investing is pretty set it and forget it. And so once that was done, I needed something else to do. <laughs> and that's where rentals came in because you didn't need that many skills. It's something you could learn. Yeah, I think index funds are next on my to-do list, my to-tackle list. Like I finally, we finally opened an IRA and so index funds are kind of my next adventure. And so I'm, it's like on my to-do list to like learn more and do and, and all that. So I might be sending you some emails and asking you some questions later. (laughs) Yep. And I read Chris Hogan's book, Retire Inspired First, Mm -hmm. which gives you a forte into investing. And I always tell people to start with that one because it, the type of funds they recommend are good ish. Like they recommend mutual funds, not index funds, which is yeah. interesting because you'll hear Dave Ramsey now, like occasionally talk about index funds on the side because they're actually like a specific type of mutual fund that's just automated and isn't managed by humans, which is the main thing why it's so much less, more cost effective to have like a robo option. Yeah. I, I have a mutual fund that my parents set up for me when I was in high school and because that was the thing, I guess then, or that was the best that they knew. I'm not really sure that it was like people who become rich, like they have mutual funds and they always put 10 or 15% in a mutual fund. And so I still have that, that I haven't contributed to in 12, 14 years. I'm dating Is myself. Is it in an here. IRA? It's, it's just a, I don't know. It's a mutual fund and that's all I know. So it's, it's like a brokerage account because a fund is like what you buy. Right. So it'll be an interesting thing to peruse too. Yeah. Like I, I think that's like a common thing. I hear people like it's very confusing because there's like the bucket it's in and then what you buy. Yeah. So. It's very confusing to me. And I'm just like, I don't know. They just told me to put money in it. And so that's what I did. <laughs> and then after I got out of high school and they quit forcing me to do it, I quit doing it. And <laughs> there's a few thousand dollars in there that I'm just like, I don't know what to do. So that is one of my things is this year as one of my goals is to learn more about that and be more savvy and not have that. I don't know. <laughs> That's yeah. my answer. Um, so and I'm marketing really... makes you feel like it's really hard to learn and like, yeah. it's an impossible thing to learn. And I think that's where Chris Hogan makes it easy. Yeah. And then like the 2.0 step is simple path to wealth. If you haven't read that book yet, I haven't. I it mean... also looks really boring on the outside. Like the cover is like really, but I like make everyone I can read it. And I'm like, ignore the cover and start reading because it's yeah. the most amazing book I've ever read. This will change your life book. I'll have to add that to the show notes if anyone wants to check it out. The simple path, yeah. uh, the simple path. Um, 
that was yes. fun. Okay. Yeah. And JL Collins is the author on it. And he um, also does a stock series online. So you can just like Google like JL Collins stock awesome. series. And it's lovely because he wrote this book for his daughter who hates investing and was like most people where she's like, dad, I don't want to learn about about this stuff. And he's like, isn't everyone excited about index funds? And she's like, no. <laughs> and he was heartbroken. So he wrote this book and like tried to make it fun for her and to yeah. kind of teach other people that aren't excited about investing that it's not that scary. And it's kind of funny. So yeah. It's a really, it's a good book for people who aren't excited about it. <laughs> I'll have to read it. I know that several people have, like I've seen people in the debt-free community reading it. So I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah. It makes it less scary. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's exactly what I need for sure. For sure. Um, so you mentioned in our notes that you kind of broke every rule getting out of debt. I want to know what that means. <laughs> well, we took vacations. That was like, the one thing we wouldn't give up and yeah. not just like a couple of vacations, like a lot of vacations. Like I went to Las Vegas with girlfriends. I did like an annual girls trip with my friends. Me and my husband go to Florida every Christmas. And in the summer we do concerts. Like it was, it was a lot, a lot of travel. And so we still did vacations. We also bought a car while in debt, like financed a car because yeah, well, because there's always a because, but anyway, we did yeah. that. This is a big, like no go, but I told my husband, I'm like, I'm not paying off a fancy vehicle if you don't like it. So let's buy one you do like if we're going to be paying something off right. and make it one that you keep for the next five to 10 years. So a very like anti-Dave Ramsey approach. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I know that it's really hard in the debt-free community to like share that stuff because you can get like bombarded really oh, yeah. quickly with stuff. But what I have found from interviewing so many people and following so many people is that almost everyone has broken some rule. Mm -hmm. It's just that and it's like quote unquote rule because right. I always say like, there's no, there's no personal finance police that's going to come to your house. Like you <laughs> might get a couple of like rude comments on Instagram or something, but also those people have done something else that was like breaking the rules. It's just, they didn't finance a car or they didn't go on a vacation, but I'm sure they did something else. Like we, I mean, we did things like we paid things off out of order and mm -hmm. went back and forth with our emergency fund of how much it should be. And, okay. you know, we moved into a rent house while we still had a house that we had a mortgage on and we moved out of it, even though we had the mortgage, cause we were like trying to sell it. And we did, I mean, we did our fair share of crazy things. We cash flowed a boat before we had our full emergency fund, our three to six month emergency fund. Cause we're like, it's coming. Like we're mm -hmm. in the process of saving for it. It'll be fine. You know? Right. And so I just think like the moral of the story is, is that no one's going to come to get you if you break these quote unquote rules. And also you can still be successful if you kind of adapt and adjust your rules and your timeline to your own specifications like it's gonna be fine <laughs> I remember my other three because I had a bunch of them um we yeah. always did our retirement match so like four to six percent whichever one me and my husband's is yeah um we also like rarely did budget meetings which is like a really big thing in Dave Ramsey yeah we world. don't really my do that much rather die than do budget meetings with me and it just works like he's just not gonna do it I tried and I, I think I had like an existential crisis too because you watch these people who have all their like debt-free screams and they're always like we budgeted together monthly and had these wonderful meetings and really came together and I'm like what is wrong with you yeah. and it almost like created some conflict in my marriage and I had to stop listening to Dave Ramsey for a while because I was getting so angry 
with my yeah. husband that refused to do these budget meetings with me. And he was on board for the vision and we still made it, but it just didn't, it didn't need to look exactly like. Yeah. We don't, we thought. never have done like a little like cheesy sit down. Here's the papers. Here's look, look at the screen because he would no. And no. If, <laughs> I know we have like conversations about it, obviously. And most of the time it is a, you know, if he's at work, it's like a phone call on payday that's like, okay, hey, I moved money around. This is what this is. This is what this is. Hey, our net worth hit this. Hey, our savings hit this. And he is like, okay, cool. Wow, that's awesome. And that's it. Yep. <laughs> He's just like, sounds good. And I'm like, no, but like, I'm really excited. And like, I have this chart and I made this thing. And he's like, cool. <laughs> and I tried like every visual you can imagine because like, oh, he'll get on board if you have it. And like a chalkboard, if you have paper rings or if you have, like, I, all the things. And well, he finally, did <laughs> the only like kind of thing that he did that was like this was we did get a debt-free chart when we were saving for, to cash flow his truck, when it was his truck, mm -hmm. he legit would get mad if I colored in those lines without him. That's he was amazing. like, it's my truck. Like, hello. But <laughs> when it was like, when it was our RV, he was like, yeah, I guess you can color some of it. In. But he was, you know, he wanted to color those lines in when it was saving for things that he wanted. <laughs> right. Those were really the things that he got most excited about. Um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I had this chart on the fridge, like trying to do my passive aggressive, like let's do charts together. And I was colored <laughs> in every month. And I did this for like five months. And I'm like, finally, I just got so mad because he's never said a word about the chart. Like I just let it be on the fridge. I'm like, you have to be seeing this. Like, I don't know what. So I yeah. took it down and like crumpled it up. And I was just like having a bad day. Um, apparently it's very dramatic. <laughs> and um, he came home and he's like, where's the chart on the fridge? Where are we at? I'm like, like, well, let me just uncrumple this really quick and <laughs> to get back on the fridge because apparently you are paying attention. So they do. They might attention. listen more than you think. <laughs> but then, but then my sister and brother-in-law, on the other hand, they got a chart to save for the down payment on their house, and they're both like all into it. They like colored in together, and they like do this stuff. And I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Can't talk to you right now. <laughs> they also have have almost been married two years and we've been married 11 years. So <laughs> we'll yeah, see. we've been together since high school. You guys as well. So yes, yeah, yes. we're 30 now. So however old that yeah. puts us, like, I think we're what, 12 years in. So yeah. Of being together, we got married like four years ago, but we've been together forever. So yeah, the we excitement were... of doing the things together is not that exciting. <laughs> we were together. We started dating when I was 15 and he was 18, which my parents hated. Um, <laughs> But I didn't know exactly how old he was when I kind of like started to have a crush on him. And then by that time it was too late and right. you know, it was, you know, the rest is history, but yeah. So we've been together like a super long time. We've done a lot of life together, a lot of growing up together. And so I definitely, like, I know his attitude. I know that he's not going to be that guy that sits down and does the budget meeting. And if he does, he'll probably have a beer in his hand and he'll just be like, mm -hmm okay, whatever. Just tell me what I need to do. <laughs> I will say the first thing he's ever been, I guess, like passionately excited about was these rental properties, which I think is probably part of the reason we're doing them. So yeah. because that was always something he wanted to do since high school and coming from a family where we didn't like, I don't know, we hired out a lot of stuff and that was just what I was used to. And so the odds of like thinking it would be fun to have these rental properties that constantly needed maintenance and repairs and fixing and renovations 
was not appealing to me for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. That's one of my biggest fears. That's, that's one of the things. So my husband works offshore and he's, he's done this for like 14 years and he wants to retire from the water early. Like he doesn't plan to just like put his feet up when he's 50 or anything, but he wants to at least come home at least, you know, have enough that like in investments and stuff that we don't have to worry and he can have more of a hobby type job. Um, and rental properties are one of the things that we have discussed, but it seems really terrifying, really overwhelming. We've also talked about getting, buying a house or two and doing like an Airbnb because we live in a college town and we're like, you know, parents come to visit, we could give them a nice house to do an Airbnb. So we've talked about those kind of options as like his semi-retirement, mm -hmm. but it seems super, super overwhelming. So I can tell you how I overcame my fears of all the things that you were afraid of because I had yeah. <laughs> okay. So tell me in short how to do this, how to overcome. Cause I, I asked my ladies a lot of questions, which we're going to get to in a minute. And I, I saw a lot of the same fears and a lot of the same questions that we have personally. So how do I overcome this fear? <laughs> I think good news is we're kind of in a biased group of people in the debt free community. So there's a good chance that you probably like a spreadsheet mm -hmm. or you probably like budgeting. And so I feel like my little niche of the rental property world works really well with that skill set. And I think that's the thing I've learned um, going through this. So, okay. So you're already starting out with like the skills that I have because I, I learned how to use a screw gun two years ago, which is like the most fun thing ever. Like I use yeah. to hang pictures around my house now. If you haven't played with a screw gun yet, like one of those big, like it looks like a drill, but it's not. It just screws things into the wall. It's so much faster. Like I put together our baby's crib in like five minutes. And my friend was just watching, like, what are you doing with this like crazy tool? And I'm like, shh, like done. That's a crib. You're welcome. I can build <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, so you don't need to be handy. And so I think that's the big thing I very first learned um, following Paula Pant and I'll, I'll link her blog in the show notes too, because she talked about um, how she hit financial independence through rentals and she wasn't handy. And this whole time I've been telling myself, you have to know how to fix toilets. You have to know how to do repairs, maintenance, all the things in order to do rental properties, because that's what my husband's skill set was. And I'm like, he's crazy. He wants to do this because he knows how to fix a toilet, but I don't know what I'm doing. So why would I ever want to do this? And then I realized that the way you make money in real estate is on the numbers and buying properties well and buying them not like emotionally, which we've done both of. Um, and so the most, like the number one question I see people say and ask is the first thing they'll say is, well, I mean, my mortgage is this amount. So would this make a good rental property? And that already means you don't know what you're doing, mm -hmm. which is what I've learned. And I'll link my favorite blogger is, right now is Chad Carson, um, Coach Carson. And he's on Instagram too. You guys should follow him. He's great. Um, but he has a back of the envelope map on rental properties. And so when you're choosing to decide if a house would be a good rental property, it has nothing to do with how much your mortgage is. And I liked that information because it's so different than what most people think because they're always worried about covering that dollar amount. And it doesn't, that's not the thing. So there's lots of numbers you run and looking at your, you know, where you stand with your mortgage isn't the best way to do that when you do the analysis. So kind of thinking about, okay, I need to have a new way to run the numbers, like a spreadsheet or some kind of calculator. So there are online calculators you can use as well. Like I can link my favorite one. Um, also, I have my own too. 
that I've put out for people on how I do it, but getting away from the fact that your mortgage has to cover it. And then the second piece is making sure you build in property management. I know that was one of the things when your followers had a question about is like yes. how you decide when to manage. And so no matter what me and my husband are doing, we always make sure that we run, when we run the numbers, it, we build in, could we hire a property manager if we decide tomorrow? I hate managing properties. We had this like catastrophe. I hate this right now. This is terrible. I'm going to hire someone out tomorrow. I could do that with how we ran the numbers when we bought the houses. And I think that's the big thing because right now we choose to self-manage and it's actually, I mean, it's been pretty simple so far, honestly. Like I feel like we were like, like two and a half years in. So I know very little tell you in like 10 years how it really goes. But if I needed to tomorrow and I decided, Hey, this wasn't what I signed up for. This isn't something I want to do. We wouldn't necessarily have to sell the properties. I could do a property manager because it was built in when we chose to buy the house. That it's something the house will afford. Like for example, I always like to say this. So we have our second house we ever bought, house two, um, we did a pretty good job on. And so people always want to know growth, like rent versus mortgage. And so for example, our gross rent is $770, but our mortgage is only $420. And so they're not even close to the same numbers, but actually this isn't that great of a deal. Our second house we ever bought wasn't that awesome. Um, comparatively, the fourth house we bought was a good deal and it's $985 rent and 420 mortgage. So it's like this really big spread between yeah. what your mortgage is and what, you know, what you can actually rent the property for because there's so many expenses that come up. You have to maintain the property. You will have people move out. You'll have vacancies. Someday you'll have to evict someone because that's how this line of business works. You have utilities to pay. You, if I want to hire a property manager tomorrow, I could do that and it will, should cost me roughly, you know, $93 to do so because I, I Googled around my area and I know how much property management costs here. Just a quick Google search online. And so learning the numbers really helps you kind of feel confident in what you're doing, at least for me. Do the property managers usually take a percentage or is it more of a base fee? I've heard a lot of things. Most of them take percentages from what I have heard and I'm aware of. Some do it differently. Um, around here, one of the, there's a really good property management company that I like follow online and kind of keep track of them. They're a little more pricey, but I think they do a really nice job of keeping vacancy low and turnovers low. And so they're 10% awesome. um, of your gross rent. Some right. people charge like for every like turnover, like the cost of like remarketing the property. But then it's kind of interesting from the landlord's perspective. Like if you own the house, then costs of a house are really drawn up whenever you put someone new in it. Because every time you put a new person in it, it needs paint, it needs carpet, it needs appliance repair, like the turnover costs are what crushes you. And so if you're compensating your property management company based on, you know, they get extra money every time they turn it over, you suddenly have like opposing issues on the property. Yeah. So I've been looking for someone that's like a flat rate because I don't want them to have the incentive of turning it every year and having those extra costs. Yeah, I want them sense. to find someone that will stay in it. Yeah. And so. we personally, we're renting now and my sister and brother-in-law are next door neighbors and they're also renting, but we're renting from an individual who um, he's an older man and he like raised his kids here and then he like the house was paid off. And so he's rented it several different times since then. And they rent through a manage a property management company in town. And so just the differences in the way our houses are maintained and it, it, there's pros and cons to both definitely. And like our, like our landlord, 
he's super easygoing. Like every time he comes over in my husband's home, they sit outside and they talk for like an hour. I mean, he's just like the sweetest guy, but also like one of our water lines broke in the backyard to like one of our, you know, outside faucets about a year ago. And we like, I called him and he was like, he shut it off and he was like, well, this isn't connected to the house or the front spigot. So let's just leave it off. And like, so we don't have water in the backyard now. And it's, we're just like, we can't really do anything other than just like bug him, you know, but my sister, like they needed a new air conditioner and it was like, bam, the people were over there in like two days. But you know, it's just, there's pros and cons to both. So we've kind of had the experience as the renters, which Mm -hmm. was like a brand new concept. We had never rented. Like as soon as we got married, we started like buying stuff because we thought that's what you're supposed to do. (laughs) And we bought the house too. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So we're kind of just like, we're learning what it's like to be a renter. And so we're having all of that kind of experience. But like I said, we live in a college town. So I'm just like the possibilities to be a rental property owner are exponential but we're pretty much going to have college people. And that's kind of terrifying to me. Um, So I think that was one of our questions was like dealing with, um, you know, bad renters, people who don't pay, people who trash the place. And someone asked, you know, they live in a, a poor rural area and we have a somewhat rural area with the exception of the city itself is a college town. Um, but that's still kind of the same thing. Like that's kind of my fear of I'm going to have college kids. They're going to trash it. They're going to be bad renters. Like, what do I do? So in your experience, how has that played out for you? So number one, there's a few people that have been in the real estate game a long time. And they're like, these people online talking about real estate who pretend like they're experts. So I like caveat everything being like, we're two years in and I have no idea. Um, So with that being said, I feel like we follow a lot of accounts that do deal with this. And so far we really haven't had a problem with it. I know we allowed a cat in our very first property. We will never do that again. It totally is grossing my husband out, but we're just, we knew the carpet wasn't, the carpet wasn't, they had a dog previously. The owners of the home had a dog and we, we tried as hard as we could to get like the dog smell out and it still was a little weird. So then, but when we walked the property with them, like, oh no, it's fine. Like we don't mind at all. And I'm like, this is rough, but okay. So then we let them have a cat who's really, really old. And we think it's like, it smells a little like cats in there. So we're going to have to deal with that eventually when they move out. So anyway, so bad renters and people will not pay on time also. And that's a thing. But what I've learned from many people that have experience is you protect yourself the most by screening tenants well. And if you get a bad feeling, you need to trust those instincts. And so we've gone through the experience of screening tenants several times now. Um, and we just went through like a very long process with house four because it's in a bit of a more poor area, I would say. We live in the middle of nowhere. So everything we do is very rural. I think our population is like 18,000 people in the town our house is in. Yeah. So rural, I can talk to you all day about that. We do have a pretty high income area for how much of a small town we are because there's all the RVs are manufactured in this area. So with the exception of one RV company, all manufactured where we live and income from those factories is really high. And so it's very common for us to get several candidates that make about 70,000 a piece. There's lots of people on the flip side that, you know, are making about 30. And so I think the main thing is talking to people and really screening them well and like learning what questionnaires and things to use. I've asked a lot of people smarter than me 
how they screen their tenants. And we kind of use those processes. And I've fought really hard to not do phone calls and things. And I've added that in just because it's amazing what people will tell you on the phone and just like word vomit to you about all the things. And definitely doing credit and background checks are really important because I wasn't that into it. But it's amazing what you learn from people about their credit report. Because I think that was a hard transition from Dave Ramsey to where you don't care about credit to like, do I really need to include this credit check on you know, on people, but you learn it's not really so much the credit score, but you can see every late payment they've made in the last so many years. And so I'm like, will this person pay me? Well, their last late payment was three days ago. So I'm not feeling great about your ability to make rent payments. Now, if you can tell me that you've never had a late payment your entire life, I'm feeling pretty good about your odds of paying me on time. So really screening people so you know that they're going to pay the rent. They're excited to live there. We're a big fan of like the pride of ownership houses too. So we did ours like gray, white, new, new appliances, really high end because we're not going to have a million properties. We just want a few that are really good. And so I think we're also attracting people that want a good house. And I think that is one thing I've learned is no matter what area people live in, whether they're you know poor or rural or in a city, like everyone watches HGTV or has a cousin that does. And there's a really good podcast. I'll link it is um, where this gentleman rents poor income area, but talks about how they're still looking for the HGTV experience and not yeah. everyone will want that, but a lot of people will. And hearing from prior landlords, like these, this family is clean. They might not have good income. They might be section eight, but they always took care of the property. And so if you have nice homes, there's the potential of getting people that really want it. And we'll tell you, I've rented these terrible houses before. These are, I mean, our duplex we inherited is horrible looking. Like it's rough on the inside. And those were the cleanest two ladies I've ever seen. And I'm like, I feel like I should be paying you this one lady. Like I should be paying you money to live in this house that we purchased because it was so horrible. Like it was bad. I'm like, I just, I mildly felt bad collecting rent. I'm like, I'm not going to raise your rent when we buy this. Like it's rough on your side of the unit, but she was extremely clean and like always like dusted and like steam mopped the floors and people want to have a clean house. You just have to try to find those people. And so doing little things like when they come and meet you at at the house, walk them to their car and look at their car's cleanliness conditions and make sure you don't see like McDonald's bags in the windows and you know, all the things there's, there's a lot of tricks that you can learn from other and like, Real estate somewhat, investors. somewhat stereotyping in a way. Yeah, <laughs> like your car kind of reflects who you are in the cleanliness. Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, you have I'm to do an old car, but <laughs> you have to do your best with the first impression. And I mean, it is what it is. What's so funny is that like our landlord now, he was very worried about our dog. And I'm like, no, seriously, like he's like all he does is sleep and he wasn't worried about our kids at all. Cause like he has kids and grandkids and everything. And he was like, Oh, it's gonna be fine. And like, well, our kids have done a lot more damage to this house than our dog yeah. ever thought about doing so awkward. <laughs> right. Yeah. No kids are hard on houses. I feel like in general, but I mean, you don't yeah. change it based on that. Like most in our area, we want families, like we're buying houses in school districts because like in very specific school districts, because again, like we're self-managing. And so the name of our game is no turnover. Mm -hmm. And so we have been learning kind of about that and what some landlords do to prevent turnover because I don't want to repaint this house again because I recruited all Mike myself and all my friends and my poor mom, like for days on end. And we painted this house top to bottom, all the trim. 
And so I don't want to do that again. So we look for people that have dogs because it's hard to find pet friendly and they won't leave because they can't find anywhere else to go. And with families because they want a good school system and they want a nice house and they won't leave. And so whatever that other landlord didn't like, we love because we know we're going to have to paint everything and replace floors and stuff on turnovers anyway. So we're not super worried about it yet, but I guess we haven't been burned yet either. (laughs) I mean, they like, we have been here in July will be three years and we've been super happy and we like, we take really good care of the yard. We keep the house super clean. Like every time he comes to get the rent, he steps in the house, like just kind of stands in the living room and just kind of, you know, he doesn't really do a full inspection, but he's like, okay, you know, I mean, they keep their house and he constantly is complimenting like the yard looks great or we plant new flowers and he's like really like your new flowers or you guys just keep the house so clean and you know and I mean yeah he's gonna have to repaint our kids' room and replace their carpet because there's three kids in a hundred square foot bedroom but we have taken a lot better care of the house overall than the previous renters. And so he's very, very happy about that. Yeah, (laughs) He's, you know, he's so pumped that my husband is like obsessive about yard work. And so he's super proud of how it looks on the outside. So he's like, yes, please stay. (laughs) And we've also learned like, we'll never do carpet again. Like we just do the vinyl plank because it's vinyl and you can't really damage that. I mean, yeah. in theory, you'll probably, re- someone could damage one piece, but we can switch out planks if we need to. And so yeah. we're going to slowly be switching our houses over to that and getting rid of all the carpet. So then you know, eventually turnovers won't be that bad. It'll just be like fixing the drywall, repainting. Yeah. And um, it definitely will help with pet smells and kids spills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all yeah. those kinds of things. So We talked a little bit about, you mentioned covering the mortgage. Mm -hmm. So one of our questions was buying a rental outright or using the renters to pay the mortgage. And I've seen people do both in the debt-free community, but what is your take on that? So it depends how patient you are, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, Because nothing cash flow is like a paid for house. Like you're just, if you don't have a mortgage, that's 400 or $500 in our market that you're not losing in cost every month. So obviously your profits are going to be higher on a house without a mortgage. The other on the flip side is you can scale up faster. So we decided to use mortgages 20% down and using, they call it leverage, but really debt. Um, Mm -hmm. We're doing a healthy ish amount of debt to buy houses. So say like, I don't know, they always, there's this lovely graphic that always goes around where you have like a hundred thousand dollars to invest. Do you buy one house with a hundred thousand dollars or do you buy five houses 20% down? So we're kind of doing like a mix of the two. So we're buying five houses 20% down and getting each of them up to like the top of the market rents. Then all of those will be paying their mortgage down. And then once we get to the five, we're kind of like debt small debt snowballing those. Mm-hmm. And so we know it will take us five to six properties to cover our living expenses if they didn't have a mortgage. So we're buying them with mortgages because then when I start paying them down and putting money on them, the mortgages, like we also have profit on each of those. So you're going to snowball faster by having five rent houses than you would just chunking cash every month. So it's kind of like buying five houses with debt and then also chunking extra money is kind of like when you're paying down all your debt and you also have a side hustle. Like your houses are kind of paying themselves down and then you also like are working to bring extra money in and pump it to pay off those mortgages. And so it's kind of like you have your W-2 job and then you also get a side hustle to accelerate things along. That's the benefit of using leverage and debt. But again, you don't have to do it that way. You will just have fewer properties and it'll take longer to get up to the point because you don't have like that double whammy of them paying themselves off plus you putting money on it if you just have one paid for cash property. In theory, it's a faster way to go if you leverage a little bit than if you all cash 
cash and scale up that way. Mm-hmm. How did it feel with the risk factor of doing that? Like, I know you came from a somewhat of a Dame, Dave Ramsey mindset and that had to have been a little scary, a little bit like a risk yeah. to go into debt for them. So what did that feel like taking that risk? I wish I could say it's not scary anymore, but it totally is. <laughs> I mean, it, so. is still, it is still debt. I mean, whether yeah. you're, you know, you're bringing in the income from the rentals and you're still paying the mortgage, but you still have in the back of your mind, that's still debt. Yeah. I mean, because right now we have, I use personal capital also. So I'm like, right now I have $369,000 in mortgages. Yeah. Which is a very, very terrifying number for some people. That includes our primary residence, but that's all of our rentals. Um, which is actually pretty cheap in Indiana because we have um, four rental property or four rental units and then our home. And yeah. so, you know, that's a really big, hairy number that like gives you mild heart palpitations when you fought to get out of debt as hard as we did. But I just know like over time, like it will be a good thing and we'll get to where we want to be faster if we do mortgages in a healthy way. And they're also, it's not like something you're underwater on. So like, mm-hmm when you are doing like student loans or when you're doing like a car payment or both of our cars were underwater when I paid them off and then you have like unsecured credit cards and like, there's nothing you're going to really do to like sell something to like pay that all off and use like houses are not very liquid, but in theory, all of our houses are worth more than the debt we have on them right right now. So the downside is like the market downturns, you always have that risk factor. And so we tried to buy really, really conservatively with our houses and run the numbers really carefully. And so right now, two units will pay will pay the mortgage property taxes and insurance of four of all four of them that we have and so we can have people like we can have all of our properties at half capacity like two people moved out and two people still running and still like be breaking even and so that was something really important and that's the reason we like rushed to buy this fourth house as the margins were so good it would put us in that situation other things we learned were always keeping a business emergency fund so people recommend keeping three to six months rent. Um, we've also heard of three to six months gross rent. So mm-hmm. instead of like, you know, you keep a fund of just how much your mortgage is, but you can also keep gross rent. So you always know like month to month, everything associated with the house is always paid for six months in case you have a lot of vacancies or the market downturns. So keeping cash reserves, which we're doing an absolutely terrible job of doing, but that's like my life goal is to get back <laughs> to that point is for while we had cash and then it's not really an emergency fund if you drain it to buy another house. So we need to stop doing that. Yeah. Um, which is the danger in this business. <laughs> so would you recommend having like a separate emergency fund for your properties and also a separate personal emergency fund and kind of like trying to keep that separate? Like, is that your goal? Yeah. Yes. So right now we have a, we have a fund named emergency fund. It has like $300 in it right now for the yeah. business. But so we have our personal emergency fund we have our personal checking accounts and we keep emergency funds on our personal side. And then on the business side in a business like savings account, we have our business savings, which granted it's really slim and sad right now, but it is there. And then we also automatically deposit every month out of the rest. We collect um, taxes, insurance, and like all the savings for like the big stuff. Mm-hmm. So all of that is so automated. With your first rental, how much did you have in an emergency fund for like maintenance and repairs when you very when, when you decided like okay we're solid enough to do this to like dive in and take that first step? So did you have like a, a big savings account or? How did you do that when you jumped in? When we paid off all of our debt and we got first got married, we bought a house on five acres with like a three acre pond. And it was like this gorgeous like wooded property. 
and I somehow convinced my husband that we needed to become financially independent. We had to sell our like pretty house with his big shop and all the stuff and move into a postage stamp in town. <laughs> I still don't know how we pulled this off because I feel like he, I wanted to move into a duplex with me, like a house hack, but he refused. Yeah. Um, and so convinced him to do a small single family home. And so we sold our house on five acres. We did like an accidental like flip because we remodeled it while we lived there. And so we sold it. We left with probably like $37,000 when we sold that house of like what we'd improved the house and we did it for sale by owner. And so we used that money to buy the house we live in 10% down, which is we just like didn't have that much money to spend. And then we used the rest of it to do 20% down on our first rental property. And that's how we got started was that first flip of our primary residence. Interesting. When we bought the first rental house, so we bought them like within a month of each other, which was a little scary because we're like, we're moving and we suddenly yeah. are landlords. We didn't have a business emergency fund. That was like a thing. I was like, oh shoot, we should get that together later because I feel like I put the cart before the horse. But since then we had saved up and we got an emergency fund and we try to keep on hand at least enough cash, like either as like a buffer in our account or something in case like a furnace dies. Mm -hmm. A lot of landlords will tell you like, keep at least like enough money on hand where if two furnaces die in a year, you won't go under. And so that's what we're working towards. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to us. Yeah. The whole like air conditioner broke on our old house mm -hmm. and we had no savings. And so I literally remember the repair guys after they got done with the job, they came to my work and I swiped the credit card on their little portable yeah. thing. And I was just like, okay, guess we're putting this on the Discover card along with everything else. And I it mm -hmm. felt terrible. It was so terrible. So we kind of had a question that is kind of similar to my situation of what we did. Well, actually two questions that were kind of the same thing. They moved and they were talking about turning their old house into a rental, which is what we did. Mm -hmm. What do you say about that? So again, it's like when you buy a primary residence, you buy it because it's pretty. Like the, right. like the standards we have when we buy our primary residences are a little ridiculous. Like, I mean, right now, to be honest, we're looking for a new house for us because we can't stand the postage stamp anymore. Like my husband's about to revolt. I think if we don't move out of this house pretty <laughs> soon, we made it. Our goal is to be here two years and that'll be in August. Yeah. It'll be two years. And so he's over it. And so the criteria just becomes really picky. Like after remodeling so many houses, I don't want to paint trim again. I want a house with white trim. Like it gets very ridiculous. But when you have so many projects going, um, he wants somewhere he can sight in his guns. He's a big like hunter outdoorsman person. Mm -hmm. And so you're buying your primary residence for these like very emotional reasons. Like you wanted the pretty kitchen, you wanted, you know, the backyard for your kids with the fenced in yard. And when you buy rental properties to make money, you don't buy them based on looks or attractiveness or these criteria. And so most people's primary residence is a terrible rental. Like it just right. isn't because you made it with emotional choices and you overbought because of the lifestyle it gives you, which is really what you want out of a primary house. Like you want to enjoy it. It's not really an investment really because it's not making you money. It actually kind of, you know, the remodel list on a house is a concern usually. So I feel like it's usually like a negative <laughs> in a way on the budget. Most people, the numbers never work on your primary residence. Like yeah. the house we're living in right now that we bought to be a rental, we still didn't buy it very well because we knew we'd be living here. And honestly, we should probably sell it because we bought it for 118 and rents are probably a thousand dollars and that's not enough. They talk about the 1% rule. So if you buy like a hundred thousand dollar house, you want rent to be 1% of the purchase price. So a thousand dollars a month. And so that 1% rule is a pretty good rule of thumb to make sure you're not like in a negative cash flow situation or you're not like losing money every month on it. 
And so very few people's primary residences will ever meet the 1% rule. So that's a thing. Yeah. I think ours would have met that rule. We, we bought it for 116 and we had it paid down a little bit and like right around a hundred, like in the nineties thousands by the time we rented it. And I believe we were renting it for, I think it was like 1100 or 1200. The thing is that mortgage, we didn't have our property taxes and our insurance in there. So I guess you'd have to count that right towards your like 1% or no. Um, so it's just the 1%, the purchase price of the house. Okay. So the one sixteen that you started with. Okay. Because essentially with the 1% rule, which people don't realize is it, it, it's like a really good gut check for cash flow. So essentially you need to rent for $1,160 a month or it's not a good deal. Okay. Um, what I've also learned is the main thing with the 1% rule is you think about it being like, where do you put your money and are you putting your money in a good spot to earn money? So like, is it better to put your money in an index fund or is it better to buy a rental house? Mm-hmm. And so the 1% rule also assures if you're meeting that or better, that you're going to outperform what you would in an index fund or like a mutual fund, for example. And so there's a lot of math behind that. Paula Plant has like really good posts on kind of like the logic behind that, but essentially like 1% over the course of the year is like a 12% return after inflation. You're probably like 8% ish. And so a standard index fund, like the standard return in the stock market's roughly like say it's 7%. So your rental would do a bit better at the 1% rule compared to what your index fund would be doing. And so it makes worthwhile to put all your hard earned money in a real estate over an index fund. But if your returns are lower than 1%, that's not a good investment. You could be making better money somewhere else in a lot passive way without having to fix toilets or bathrooms or deal with tenants in a way that's a lot easier. And so it's really like, is it worth your time? So that's where to me, the 1% rule matters because if you're not meeting it, then honestly, just invest in index funds is kind of my approach and why I'm like sticking to it now. But I mean, the last two houses we've made are 1.4%. That's interesting. We're trying to do better than that because I want to do better than what my index funds are performing. So, so all of your rental properties, are they within the area that you live in? You don't have any long distance rental properties? It depends how you define long. Like we're all in our area, but where we live in Indiana, like it's very subjective. So I think like to one of our properties, it takes like 35 to 40 minutes to get there. Yeah. But it all feels close, but it's just our house is on one end of the world and our rentals, like one of our rentals is on the other. So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of how we are in like East Texas. Like everything is 15 to 30 minutes away. So it's just like, oh, that's close. Like it's close for us, but it feels suddenly less close when you're there every night for three months and you're like, wow, this is really far away. What would you say to people? Because a lot of military families or, you know, families who move a lot for work and things like that. I've heard this question several times before. I mean, one of our listeners asked about, you know, they bought a house where they currently are living and then they want to, they're going to move because they're a military family would you suggest turning that house into a rental or selling it if they're not going to be in that same area to manage it? I think the first thing is obviously making sure if it would be a good rental in general, because for I mean, like, the numbers, I like 98% of people are going to be like a hard no on that. It's like an yeah. emotional thing that you want to keep it. The other thing I've learned, and I have no experience in military towns, um, but I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so what you kind of hear experts in these areas talk about is military areas are really challenging to be rentals because there's a lot of turnover and a lot of people moving around and a lot of people trying to figure out what to do with their house because they move so often that a lot of people become like accidental landlords there. Um, And so overall, 
the ideal thing would be to rent in the military town from kind of what I've gathered from the experts that really talk about this area a lot. And then if you do buy something, probably selling it because the appreciation is always going to be low in those areas because there are so many people always buying and selling at all times. The market doesn't go up very much. And yeah. so long-term appreciation, like unless you like love this house so much, you want to keep it for the rental forever. If you just wanted a short-term thing and hopes your values will go up, it doesn't appreciate quite as much as other areas of the country because there's just so much of a surplus in the market at all times. So for most people, unless you, you know, love it, or if that's an area you want to be in again someday, long distance land learning is hard. There's some really good books on it now, but honestly, I kind of like being close to um, where we're at. And there's just such a saturated market in those areas that I'd be hesitant to keep it, especially if it doesn't work. So. Yeah. And I've always heard that it's harder with the maintenance, like maintaining them. You're not like for our landlord example, like he stops by to get the rent every single month. Like he doesn't want us to mail it to him because he wants an excuse to come over every single mm -hmm. month and just, you know, is everything going okay? Right. And just not ever l let that get out of hand. But I would imagine that like having a rental in a different city or state even would be a little scary with keeping up with it and all of that. Yeah. I think it'd be hard to do without a property manager. Probably. Mm -hmm. I know people do it, but I think the hardest part, honestly, is finding the people, like having an HVAC guy, mm -hmm. um, like, oh, they mess up drywall, finding a drywall person, finding an electrician that can fix, like finding a plumber who can fix your outside faucet, like little things like that. Like you need so many teams of people to work on houses. Um, and it's very easy to find a lot of people you don't like. And I think it'd be hard if you move away, trying to find someone that's good and looking at the quality of work they're doing in your properties would always be a big thing for me. Yeah. I'm like very much an automation. Like, I mean, all my tenants collect rent online. We do our leases now online. Um, yeah, I've like done a couple of posts on that, how we switch like leasing systems because, you know, we do all our leases, like everything that I can do, I'm doing electronically. And I still wouldn't like to do long, you know, distance investing. Because I've had some really big troubles with like handyman or finding like someone to mow the lawn if we're, you know, don't have a tenant in the property. There's just lots of little things you don't think about unless you can find like a good property manager you trust. Yeah. Someone else was kind of asking like, are you always on the lookout for cheap, like good deals of houses? And you know, how do you, how do you go about actually finding these houses? So I'm always on looking at things. Um, so I used to just like shop for houses and I realized I need to stop doing that because we we're still like very, very conservative in buying houses. Like we still have to save up like a solid amount of cash to do a 20% down purchase of the next one. And we obviously need to regrow our savings more. And so I constantly look. And so what I transitioned myself into doing was learning my market. So I have this beautiful spreadsheet where I do comps and track rents in the area and sale prices in the area. So since our area is pretty rural, we have a lot of towns. And so I think I have four tabs bottom of all the local towns where I've ever thought about investing. And every time I see property for sale that's like in our price range or close to like that 1% real property, or every time I see one that's listed for rent, I add it to my spreadsheet. So I'm always watching what the market is doing in terms of price and rental rate. So then like each year I can say like, you know, renter, this is where, you know, property values are, this is where rent is. And this is kind of what we're looking at in terms of if we're going to raise rent, keep rent the same, what we're doing and why. Um, but I think like learning the market is really important. And I didn't really see the value in that until we started buying houses, honestly, because our first house we're living in right now that we would like to keep because it's a nice location, but is probably not a great rental. We just over-purchased on. 
Yeah. And then you hear people who are like super naysayers about like the 1% rule and like buying houses, like at a cost where you can actually get like high enough rents to justify buying them. And then I actually realized the 1% rule is actually pretty terrible for our area. Like you can very easily get higher than that. And so our second house, we were so excited because we hit that number. I think we we're like a 0.98%, but close enough. Yeah. Um, and then the next two were 1.4% or higher. And so I like just like slowly learning our market more. I realized that our first two properties we thought were good deals weren't necessarily, and we could be doing better if we got creative. In terms of finding deals, I'm always on like Realtor is my favorite of the apps, honestly. Like I still just have Realtor on my phone at all times. That's my husband's um, hobby. He yeah. he goes back and forth between Craigslist and Realtor.com because he'll go back and forth between shopping for which I mean we've cash flowed two vehicles, two boats, and an RV at this point, all because. Yeah he's obsessed with auto trader and, and like Craigslist yeah. and all of that. He's obsessed <laughs> with shopping. And so he's become a really good shopper for cash flowing things. And he's gotten us five good deals so far. Yeah. Um, and so he, he'll go back and forth between whatever he's shopping for and houses are one of those. And he's just obsessed with just He's obsessed with lake houses right now. And he's looking like hours away and <laughs> just as his hobby. <laughs> I know a lot of people do long distance investing. Um, and especially like there are people that just do like professional, like Airbnb management. Mm -hmm. And I've like looked into that as well, just to find it interesting, but we just haven't thought about it, but we've, we've, that would be his like long-term goal. He would have like a yeah. lake house, a beach house, a river house, like all these houses yeah. that we could go to, but also Airbnb out. But that would be like way in future. I've been meeting with people. My job was to work on networking this year mm -hmm. in my own like personal goal. Oh, my job, not really, <laughs> just things I would like to do. <laughs> um, and so I've been talking with people about Airbnb and it's, it's kind of similar to flipping a house where like rentals are, you put a tenant in, you screen them well, you hopefully did a good job putting them in. And if you succeeded in all those aspects, you hear from them next year. And that's kind of the dream if your house doesn't break down or there's not something like issues going on. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a set and forget. And so long-term buy and hold rentals, you are passive as pretty passive as it comes unless something needs repaired, which all houses do. But Airbnb is a job. Like you're kind of in the tourism business. Same with flipping a house because it's work. Um, and so we kind of do a bit of both. We still are like renovating houses right now, but someday we will not be renovating and it will be more passive. Yeah. But it's kind of one of those things we've looked into Airbnb and I'm like, oh man, that sounds like another full-time job. It I sounds like a lot of work. It. Yeah. No, that's what you. I told my mom. Like if we're going to do that, that's going to be like after you retire from the water and like you're here to deal with it because I know what it would be. He would be offshore and I would be the one that would have to go and like yeah. do the, and I'm just like, nope. Mm -mm, nope. And they don't know how to make the keypad work and they don't know how like the like ice maker is yeah. working and they can't figure out, you know, like stereo and yeah, yeah. Airbnb, they're definitely more of a job. That sounds like work. And I'm just like, mm -mm, no, nope. <laughs> I'm like, I already have enough of that. Like, no, thank you. But someday I think it'd be cool because you can be a lot more creative with Airbnbs because you want yeah. them to have like, you want to market them well. You want to have like Instagrammable spots in your house yeah. to get like social media. And I just want to decorate one and make it yeah. cute. <laughs> I know because you can make them so much more fun. I mean, right now we're like team gray and white with no other differences and like stainless yeah. steel. Like it's pretty a rinse and repeat approach, which you want in long-term rentals, but Airbnb would be so fun. Like I could do real color at that point. Yeah. <laughs> make, make it fun, actually decorate it and like do yeah. all that stuff. So, I mean, you basically already covered this, but one of our questions was, I think this is our last question really, is in your opinion, I mean, obviously you're still 
doing this and you're still pursuing, but overall, do you feel like the money potential is worth the hassle overall? Right. So I would say yes, because right now I know that I'm making a better rate of return on our properties than I would be in my traditional index fund investments. So that's like within my 401k and like any IRAs we have, like I can get a higher return there. And so we're able to scale up faster and become financially independent quicker by doing real estate. And that's what kind of got us into it. Um, It helps that my husband's really handy, but I tell people it's also a very double-edged sword because he can do all the things. And then at the same time, you're sitting there waiting for him to do all the things. And mm-hmm. so it's also a frustrating experience to be a part of because I'm like, go work on the houses. Like that's like our moneymaker versus like if I hired out a contractor, I could feel more comfortable like bossing him around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, you're my employee. I can tell you to get back to work, but your husband, you're like, not again. I feel bad. <laughs> so if you're not someone who's handy, neither one of the spouses are someone that's handy. Do you think, is that a deal breaker or do you just kind of figure that expense in? I don't think so because you figure out the expense in and like right now we're saving a lot of money when we do our renovations. Like we would have had to have more money saved. Like you couldn't have, we couldn't have gone as fast as we did if we weren't doing them ourselves. I think we probably would have been less frustrated with each other if we had hired more stuff out. Um, But we also saved a lot of money that way, but we did build in the cost of renovations being more than they are when we bought the houses and we're getting better estimating renovation costs. But I think I would have set a bigger, healthier budget and hired them out. And it probably would have gone faster if Mm -hmm. we would have done the hiring out. But then again, you're like managing more people as well. So there's pros and cons, but I don't think you need to be handy at all. Like, honestly, there's some days where I'm like, can we just buy one house and I'll like, we'll save a good amount of money, like a bigger chunk of change, like double our budget or triple our budget, honestly. And I'll just like manage this so you don't have to like take your time and do it. Yeah. And so we've tossed that around as being a possibility because I'm like, I, I kind of like managing things. And so it's something I, I'm just curious to do to see if I could do it to like get a house top to bottom renovated and like rent it out without having to go in and DIY anything. But yeah, I think like that's a goal. That's one of our fears is like, we're not super handy. I mean, like we could paint and like, you know, things like that, but neither one of us are really handy. Like we're not going to be in there installing carpet or laying tile or, you know, above like painting and landscaping. Like, no, that's not us Mm -hmm. at all. Um, So that's kind of been one of our fears is you see a lot of people really doing a lot of the work themselves. And so that seems a little scary. Yeah. I will say laying flooring is one of the easiest things I've done like so far beyond painting laying flooring is easy but when it comes like plumbing electrical I mean honestly I messed up buying appliances so like it's there's a lot of things to learn like trial by fire and so I don't know but I don't think you have to be handy you just need to find trustworthy people that can help you and like like I love our HVAC guy like he's just a sweetheart he comes out he explains things to us he's taught my husband you know how to replace a water heater and like go through all the stuff. And so there's, there's a lot of people you can learn from and kind of on the job training, but I think it's possible to do it both ways because that's what um, Paula Pant did is she, you know, hired it all out and she didn't remodel anything herself. She just managed the team. And so if you like know how to do a good spreadsheet and you can manage people, you could definitely do it. You just need more savings in order to do that. So, so moving forward, what are your goals as far as like how many rentals you guys want to have total? So right now we have four units and if we include the house we're living in, if we do turn this one into a rental, which we're kind of up in the air about, 
um, we would cover all of our base living expenses with these five units if the houses were mortgage free. Mm -hmm. And so with mortgages, the cash flow once the duplex is fully renovated, which we're doing this spring, is about $1,300. And then once they are all rented out, and if we didn't have mortgages, it's more like $2,600, which really covers what we live off of. If we like need to live like hermits and not go to a movie and not go to dinner, like it would cover like all of our base living expenses. The challenge is for us to be like comfortably financially independent we're really big spenders. Like we spend a lot of money. Like we probably need a couple of houses each to really feel like that free point. And so probably like 10 would be our ideal, like six to 10, somewhere in that range to really feel like we can spend whatever we need to and not feel limited by it. But it's, you know, five is our like magic number for really being independent. But then I think 10 would be like more of our like doubling the number would be really what we would like to spend in a year. I think we can always cut back, but I don't think that's what life is really about. We kind of like enjoying it. We like doing a lot of stuff. And so having that cash flow, really 10 units paid for is our goal. But I think for now, short term, we want to get our basic expenses covered. So the six houses and get them all the five, I mean, five houses, six doors all paid off and then move up from there once we get our faces covered. Yeah. So I've also bought two houses on Facebook marketplace. Yes. Tell me more about that. (laughs) Um, yeah. So I think that was the other thing. These people, like the first three houses we bought were off the MLS. Um, and actually our first house we ever bought was off the MLS. So everything we've bought is just like we found on realtor. Um, we talked to a local realtor. She sends me emails of properties that meet our criteria. And so we found most of them in a very traditional way. Um, two of them we found for sale by owner. Someone posted like, I would like to sell this piece of land or I have a house that used to be rental and I'm just looking to get out of it because I'm moving out of state. Mm-hmm. And they put it on Facebook marketplace for sale. And I watch Facebook marketplace all the time for appliances. And so I saw this house for sale and I'm like, Hey, we need to go buy this. It's a really good deal. Um, and our best deals have been off the marketplace, which is kind of a fun way. So have you ever been to or considered um, buying a house through an auction? Yeah, but we don't have any money to do that. <laughs> yeah, because you have to have um, it like all like up, up front, right? Yeah, so you either have to have all the cash. What a lot of people do is they have equity in one of their properties and they get like a HELOC or some kind of like loan where they can essentially still do an all cash offer, but they, so like say if our primary residence was paid off, I could do like a HELOC or some kind of like home equity line of credit type thing on my house and pull out like $80,000 and use it to buy a property. And it would look like an all cash offer and use that to buy properties at auction. The challenge is that we wanted to get so many units up quick and running. So then those mm-hmm. houses all started paying themselves down that we've leveraged every ounce of cash out of our properties that we feel comfortable leveraging. And so we're not in a position to buy a house at auction right now. Yeah. So are there any other words of advice that you would give to someone who is at the very beginning of this journey, like something that you wish that you could go back and tell yourself before you started this phase of your journey? Any words of wisdom or advice? I see a lot of people, I think, jump the gun before they're ready, which is mm-hmm. very hard because I'm a very like impulsive and impatient person. And every day I'm grateful we're doing this with no debt, like consumer wise, like mortgages are a whole new world. And there's just so much to learn in real estate. I feel like I could read three books and somehow like get be pretty dang good at investments. And then you watch these other like very fancy, savvy, more sophisticated investors. And they're doing the same thing you're doing. And I'm like, I self-taught myself investing off of two books. That was easy. 
real estate is not that way. Yeah. Um, it's a whole world and there's no, there's like 9,000 different paths to do it. There's no one way. And every lender you talk to does it a little differently. Every person that manages property does them differently. And so, you know, I think the biggest thing would be just making sure that your personal household finances are set before you get into real estate because it's such a crazy world and you're playing with very big money items. Like, I mean, a new furnace and air conditioner is like six or seven grand. And so that's just not something you want to mess with if you like have credit card debt or if you have student loans or like that's definitely something I'm really glad we cleaned up before going this way because it's very hard to like stop buying stuff and to like pay down things once you kind of get into buying houses. It's really fun and it's kind of exciting to have these projects. And so I'm very glad we took care of our personal house first so I can feel like we can take a little bit more risk on the business side with like very strategic use of debt, but making sure we're not underwater on anything or very conservatively working with our properties to make sure we're not spreading ourselves too thin. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. So I really, I'm interested in all of the resources that you mentioned. So make sure that you get me all those links so I can, um, I can link to all those in the show notes and the calculator that you were mentioning that you have, I'm, I'm really curious to check that out. I didn't know that you had that. So I definitely will link to that in the show notes for everyone else who is curious as well. Yeah. And just thank you so much for a- answering all of our questions. I, I popped in a lot of these questions that my ladies had asked. And so I was really glad that they were so excited and that they gave us a lot of good questions that really helped us have kind of a good outline here. So thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us, to share all of your wisdom, to answer all of our questions. Hopefully I'll have more wisdom to share over the years, but for now, I appreciate everyone like still wanting to talk. I'm like, I still like, we don't know what we're doing, but it's kind of a fun ride. So TBD on what we know over the years. <laughs> you have more experience than I do and uh, than a lot of people listening to. So we appreciate your wisdom and you make it sound a lot less scary. So thank you for that. That's good. It feels a lot less scary. I'm like, I feel like I'm nervous every day about it, but I'm also very grateful we did it every day. And yeah. at some point you just have to like try it out and see. I'm like, I'm a big, like worst case scenario person. Like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Okay. We're going to sell all these houses because this was terrible. Or we're going to hire a property manager because this is terrible and we'll figure out a new way to do it. So yeah, that, that gives me a lot of peace in mind. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was been wonderful. Thank you for having me. And thanks everybody for the wonderful questions. Um, I absolutely love questions and I actually answer like every DM I get which is like sometimes like a job on some days but then other like it's just so fun to answer them and so if you have any other questions like let me know or let Sandy know and I'll put all of your links in the show notes and everything too so if anybody has any further questions they can reach out to you and and ask them all right so that is all for us thank you guys for listening and I will talk to you guys next time Thanks for hanging out for another episode of a Sunny Side Up Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend because you never know who needs to hear this message. If you haven't already, please leave a review and subscribe. Reviews and subscribers are what help the podcast grow and what help new ladies find our community. And again, thanks for hitting play on this episode and for investing some time in yourself today. Remember that I'm always here to support you and I'm always cheering you on along the way. Don't forget that everything that we mentioned in this episode will be linked in the show notes. All right, that's all for me this week. Bye, guys.